and there's all of this kind of stuff with social media you can have it all you can have a career and you can be a mom and you can do and actually you can't you can't you have to have chapters and you have to prioritize what's important at that moment in your life and the last few years i've absolutely prioritized my boys a thousand percent and that's not an easy thing to do when you love your career and your career feeds your self-worth and i will be very honest that i have felt very low just go for it i just think sometimes you've just got to make the most of it if you can live your life with kindness you are winning i suddenly i found something that i just loved doing yeah don't let not being able to do something stop you <laughs> My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I'm a coach, podcaster, and award-winning author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The Unlock Moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their Unlock Moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life. And you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlock Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. Earlier in the summer, I had the pleasure of speaking on stage at the Carfest Summer Festival here in the UK, where 60,000 people come together for music, mindfulness and motoring. I'm delighted that one of my fellow speakers on stage at Carfest is joining me today on the Unlock Moment. Tori Campbell is a TV presenter and sports reporter who is best known for her Formula One coverage, but just as likely to be found in a helicopter or a powerboat. She's fronted the World Powerboat Championships, launched the FIFA Women's World Cup, and interviewed some of the biggest names in sport on the red carpet at the Laureus World Sports Awards. But life wasn't always so glamorous. You don't get the breaks if you don't put in the work. And Tori's early career was seriously hard graft. She can tell us shortly whether much has changed. A Butlin's red coat, a music presenter for campsites, and treading the boards on a shopping channel. Well, when we talked about unlocked moments in a field at a festival, Tori said to me, I know exactly what mine is, and I'll tell you on the podcast. I can't wait to learn more. Tori Campbell, it's my very great pleasure to welcome you to the Unlock Moment. Oh, thank you so much. What a lovely intro. I'm, I almost feel a little bit emotional. <laughs> I'm a very emotional person. <laughs> I don't know where this is going to go. <laughs> well, let's see. Let's see. So we met on stage at Sparfest with Dr. Rongan Chatterjee, Simon Alexander-Ong and Kirsty Gallagher talking about how to find happiness and fulfillment in life. I always feel like the thinking in the moment is interesting, but the real work most definitely comes in the reflection over time. What have you been thinking about over the last couple of months from that conversation? What sticks for you? You know, the, the car fest was such an incredible part of my career and actually quite 
life-changing in many ways. I was at Carfest the year previous and was hosting the track there because, of course, my connection with, with motorsport and cars. And I have a very strong sort of calling towards mental health awareness and wellness and kindness and happiness and that side of things. And when you work in an industry which is very quite glamorous and can be quite ruthless and brutal, they're quite sort of opposite. And I was working on the track the year previous and I asked if I could do one of the interviews on the Sparfest stage. And I absolutely loved it. It just felt like home for me. And then they called me this year and asked if I wanted to host the entire weekend on Sparfest. And it was just a dream come true. And it was quite funny, really, because the whole process leading up to that, I was, you know, reading the books of these incredible people within the wellness arena. As I said to you, I listened to your podcast. I do a lot of driving. So I was listening to those. And it felt like I was going through my own therapy session <laughs> in that whole research, you know, lead up. And I'm a, I, I reckon we're probably the same on this level. I'm a total SWAT when it comes to research. I really mm. love researching. And, uh, you know, it does feel like a, a massive turning point in my life, actually, just even just hosting that, that wellness and spa fest stage. But it was great. What a great atmosphere it was there. I remember Rongan was talking about finding moments for easy mindfulness, because a lot of people were saying, you know, I want to find my mindfulness moment, but it's really hard and I never do it. And he, he talked about drinking your coffee mindfully, which just stuck with me. And, and I've been trying to drink my coffee more mindfully ever, ever since. But I, I, I just loved how it was all put together and you could see the impact on people. And I think in our session, because you had people with such different perspectives, but they were connected in commonality. I thought that was really nicely done. Now, okay, your life today is pretty high octane, traveling the world in the company of top sports stars, driving fast cars. But where really do we need to start in your story to understand the person you are today? Well, I guess I immediately, I always think start from the beginning. <laughs> and we have, you know, we, we both were born in, in, in Southampton, weren't mm -hmm. we? And I we think were. that's probably the best place for me to start with, you know, how things have unfolded. I grew up in a little village just outside of Southampton. I had a really lovely upbringing, a very supportive family you know, I think sometimes with these stories, it's great when, when you come from adversity and, and that sort of thing. But I was thinking, you know, actually, I, I was very, very fortunate. I have a very um, loving family, but I was, you know, brought up in a small town, a small village. And to want to certainly, you know, a few decades ago when it was, to want to leave that environment and go and pursue something that's a little bit out of the ordinary, really, that was for daydreamers. That didn't happen. And that was the only crux I had to get over, really, removing myself from that normality, I guess. And when did that start, thinking about doing something different? I think I've always been, I've definitely always been a massive daydreamer and a little bit of a loner as well, not in a bad way. I quite, I, I'm just, I live in my head quite a lot and I'm quite creative. So I will come up with ideas and it's, it's a difficult one really, because I think I've always been a little bit of a, 
not the joke of the family, but certainly, so I, I certainly welcome the fact that there's always a little bit of laughter around the fact that I didn't pursue a normal career. But I think sometimes as well, that's quite difficult because I definitely have this ingrained ambition and want for a life less ordinary, say. But it's definitely coupled with this real sort of imposter syndrome and strange lack of self-confidence. And I think quite often the two come together, weirdly, but it is a constant battle and has been my entire life to really want to be working hard and going for my goals and going for my dreams, yet this crippling lack of self-confidence and feeling that I'm yeah, like imposter syndrome has been a, a phrase that's come around recently, hasn't it? It's definitely been a big part of it. And I've had to really fight it. And I still fight it every day now. Hmm. It's very interesting. I work with a lot of people who would describe that they have low self-confidence. And I say, well, how do you feel about other people? And they often say, well, I feel like everybody else is much more confident than me. So Gallup does work on people's natural talents and strengths. And of all of the different personality themes that you can have showing up, whether you're competitive or you're analytical or you're a natural diplomat. The one that is least common in all the people that have ever done their assessments is self-assurance. So actually, it's really common for people to have low self-assurance, low self-confidence. And yet it's also really common for them to assume that everyone else is really confident. And in reality, they're not. In reality, they're not. So that's a weird thing with imposter syndrome that everyone feels it's easy to feel quite alone in that space, actually. So how did you find then, as somebody with low self-confidence, yourself answering newspaper adverts and becoming a singer in a band in your teenage years? Yes, it was, it, that was a funny one. I remember sitting in my front porch and I, I just wanted to do something. I, don't, I, I was a dreamer and I saw an advert for a singer and they wanted somebody to sing in clubs and pubs. And I was 13 at the time and I thought, I think I'll just call them. <laughs> And it was three brothers, actually. And it didn't say in the advert, but they weren't all over the age of 18. So when I phoned, and I, I did, I, I would find these moments of absolute bonkers, kind of little snatches of confidence. I'd go, go, for, just do it, just do it. And they said, come in an audition. And I said to my mum, and my mum's brilliant. She just... I don't know. She kind of, I think whether she lives vicariously through me and she, she says, yeah, go on, let's go for it. Let's, I'll drive you. Yeah. And I got the job singing with this band. But the weird thing is, and I think this is another thing where I didn't want anyone to think that I was being too a show off or big for my boots. Nobody knew. None of my friends knew. Nobody knew at school. It was kept completely secret. And I don't know why it's a really weird thing, but I would go at weekends and we'd rehearse and we actually nearly, very nearly got signed. We came up to London to a big recording, a management company. And I remember sitting around the, the table and they made me stand up and sing um, Walking in Memphis because <laughs> I was only very young, but I had this very deep singing voice. <laughs> and it was a really strange, it was an interesting period of my life. But growing up, none of my friends would know about that. All of that happened, and I don't know why. I have no answer for that, but all of that happened very quietly and behind the scenes. And how did they feel about their lead singer being 13? I think they didn't mind. I think it was a bit of a novelty, actually, you know, and 
it was fine. It worked out fine. Yeah. But it was interesting. And, and then I went on to sing in college bands. And the funny thing is, you know, I don't really think I can sing. <laughs> but, but When has that ever stopped anyone? Um, exactly. <laughs> and funnily enough, you know, talking of being at Butlins, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit now, but this is where I started presenting because back in the day, the Redcoats, you would do the shows and, and they said to me, you know, we've got a really, we've got a special role for you. Why don't you do the talking in between the others singing? Uh-huh, okay. <laughs> and, and I was like, okay. And, and then, you know, I suddenly I found something that I just loved doing, but um, yeah, don't let not being able to do something stop you. <laughs> <laughs> that I like. Now, from my American and international listeners, can you explain Butlins? So, <laughs> so Butlins is a, um, gosh, what's the word? It's a national treasure, I would say. It is. Um, there are holiday camps and within those holiday camps, there are entertainers and you wear a red, a red outfit and your job is to make sure that everybody else is having a great time whether that's sitting at the table with them chatting, getting them up to dance or being on stage and doing the shows yourself. It's you kind of just all muck in and it's the most it was the most bonkers happiest time of my life being there. And I I really hold a torch for Butlins and and the talent that comes out of Butlins as well. And quite often on big talent shows, say, on the television, they will refer to, oh, you're, you should be, you know, you're a bit of a holiday camp entertainer. And I think, you know what? Actually, that's where some of the best entertainers and some of our best big names have come from and started at the Roots at Butlins. And I, you know, I will always, always hold a torch for it. But yes, it's a, uh, I, I don't think you can say the word Butlins without smiling, can you? <laughs> it's a bit of an institution. Um, yes. <laughs> no, it's amazing. Have you ever been? I have been. I have, have done you? a ballroom dancing competition at Butlins in Bognor Regis. Yeah, yes. it used to be a huge thing when I was growing up. I used to be a ballroom dancer. Uh, I started dancing when I was four years old. And so we, we would go to Butlins and do the competitions there. Um, so yeah, it's really fun. Bognor Regis. Again, you can't say it without smiling. So, exactly. so that's really good. And I know that's tied in with your Unlock Moment story. So when you think of this idea of a moment when you remember where you were, who you were with, what you were thinking, what comes to mind for you that really shaped your path? Well, it's funny, really, because I I mentioned to you just before we started recording that I was slightly embarrassed when I sent this story because I thought, oh, my gosh, this is so trivial. But but it was when I was listening to your podcast and it was one moment in my life that I will never forget. And Mm. when I say growing up, I was a little bit lacking confidence. I didn't really have serious boyfriends. And when I was 17, I fell head over heels for, for somebody. And I must say now, I have kept in touch with him. And he is a lovely, lovely guy. And is successful in his own right. But he was going through his, I guess, teenage naughty times and would never turn up. And, you know, stood me up all the time. and. I was always heartbroken, always. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I'm just not good enough for, you know. And I remember getting this job offer to move away and move to Butlins. 
And I'd bumped into him on a night out and we were in the car park of Southampton. Now, I don't know if you've gone back to Southampton, but there used to be a very famous nightclub there called Icon. There was Icon and Diva and Jumping Jacks and they'd shut. And he was there and we were having a conversation. And I I remember what I was wearing. It was raining. I was sat on the on a pavement in the car park. And I remember just thinking, why, why am I being let down? Why, why do you keep letting me down all the time? And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go. I'm going to move out. I'm going to leave. I'm going to take the job offer. And I was only 17 at the time. And I'm going to almost show you, show you what I can do. And then you'll, maybe then you'll want me. <laughs> Does that sound strange? <laughs> The unlock moment is a moment of knowing something. Mm. What, what did you know in that moment for the first time? I think maybe I, I don't know whether I knew that I, I think I needed to find some self-worth. And I think that's what suddenly hit me. And I thought, and yes, I need to find where I, I need to, to find this. And and because I had so many dreams and so much ambition without the self-worth or confidence to properly pursue and believe in myself. And I think maybe that was the moment that I thought, if I'm not doing this almost to prove to myself I can do it, I'll, I'll prove to other people. That's really powerful. Often when people think about the pivotal moments in their career, they'll go, I remember the day I started my new job. I remember the day I walked out of my old job. I remember the day I, you know, whatever that moment was, the unlock moment's different. The unlock moment is the moment in the car park when you knew you needed to find self-worth. Mm. Coming from that, a lot of things happen. You chose to do certain things. You, you chose to move. You chose to start a role. You didn't know necessarily in that car park it was all going to work out. No, but I think sometimes you need a push <laughs> and that push can either come from a very difficult time in your life or just something that sparks that, something to overcome whatever was holding you back. And why then? Uh, gosh, I don't, I don't know why it was. I guess there was, there, I guess when you're 17, 18, you're at a, point in your life it's quite pivotal isn't it what do you do and and this is another strange thing I never had the confidence to go down the academia route and I was a straight A student and I still look back now and go but why did you not think you could do it and and there is a bit of regret sometimes in that and 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 that definitely feeds into my imposter syndrome because I think you know yeah, it, it, it's a strange one, but there was definitely, you know, I went to the University of Life, didn't I? I went to Butlins instead. <laughs> but, but I guess at that age, you come to certain points in your life where you have to make major decisions and, and which way you're going to go. So I guess that was always in the back of my mind that, that I had to make that, that life choice at that point. Um, so yes, I guess that's why I came then. I think it's interesting now that you know, I think back to when we were all growing up and in those days there were paths that you're supposed to take if you're mm -hmm. like this at school and like that at school. 
Now I think there's much more openness to a whole variety of paths. So you can be a straight A student and you can be an artist or a sports person or a musician or something else. You don't have to necessarily go to university. That's not the only way of finding success in life. But I think back in the day, there was much more societal pressure to go down a particular path. What I find fascinating now, talking to the huge breadth of people that come on the Unlock Moment, is that I see that the people that are most successful in what they do, and by successful, I mean happy and fulfilled more than achieving you know, the gold medal necessarily, they're doing a thing that they're passionate about. They've, they've found themselves in a place that really talks to what they love. And, and that's, that's my sense of where you found yourself now. Tell me about that journey from going into Butlins to how did you find your way to surrounding yourself by things that you're truly passionate about? It's been quite a long journey, really. I think that the thing that I'm passionate about or, or should I say, when I worked at Butlins, there was a fly on the wall documentary, which was on ITV at the time. So it followed three of us, which was absolutely just, I mean, having a camera follow you all the time is very strange. And, and now that's norm. Everyone films themselves all the time. <laughs> but back then, that was not the norm. <laughs> um, and that was one of the things that gave me a chance in TV, but I'd also come up with, I'm, I'm just a huge, hugely passionate about music. Music is my world, my life. When we were growing up, it was music that we listened to rather than watch television. We were very outdoorsy and we, we'd listen to music. And at Butlins, you used to have weekenders where some of the big pop bands would come down and perform. And I remember speaking to the management and saying, look, we've got TV screens in every room on every campsite. Why don't we start producing our own sort of TV to go into these rooms? So then I started interviewing the bands and it was great. We ended up coming down and interviewing the MTV studios, the This Morning studios. So for this small time girl that, you know, had dreams of doing stuff, I just was, it was pinch yourself moments all the time. And I I just loved talking to people and finding out and, and speaking to people who were doing something that they were passionate about. And I love seeing people with this incredible talent. And I also quite like tapping through egos. And in the music industry, there are quite a few egos. And it's quite, it's nice to be able to try and get through those egos. And this is at a very young age, you know, I was not, I just gave it a shot, you know, and, and it worked out. So when I was spotted on the documentary, the ITV Fly on the Wall documentary, I had a showreel ready to go of stuff. And it wasn't really planned that way. I, I wasn't planning it to be a showreel. It was, but it was all ready to go. And that's where it kind of cycled on. Now I'm forgetting what the question was. <laughs> Have I gone off? <laughs> I'm loving the path you're on. <laughs> no, it's about pursuing, pursuing your passion. Yes, this is the interesting thing. So music, it was music that was my absolute passion. And through that, meeting people and finding out their stories and why they were doing what they were doing. And I got offered a job with ITV to do the powerboats. And the powerboat racing wasn't anything that I knew anything about. I knew nothing. And I turned up and did the screen test and got the job. And I... I loved speaking to sports people who were there 
not because they wanted to be on screen being interviewed. They were there because they wanted to win a race. And that challenge of pulling out a personality from somebody and being able to dig down to somebody who struggled to be on camera or struggled to talk really ignited a fire in me. You know, I loved trying to make people feel at home and relaxed and and bring out the best in them. I've never gone down the, the journalistic route of trying to trip people up. I always think that I can bring out the best in somebody. And that's always my goal when I interview people. It's, it's there. It's, it's, the onus is on them. And I feel that that is a skill that I've really tried to work on. And so that's where the music sort of tippled over into sport and specifically motorsport. And as I said before, I am a SWAT and I do like researching. And I researched to death, you know, how the motors worked, how the boats were built, the aerodynamics. And so because I felt it it was a duty of respect, I was interviewing these drivers and I wanted to understand their passion. So I learned and researched and researched and, and yeah, and I, I ended up doing a few seasons of that. And off the back of that, got picked up through knowledge of motoring and motorsport. But it was only at that point that I had had sort of gone, delved into that world, if that makes sense. I think there's something really interesting about, about this path that you've been on. I talk a lot to people about the idea of some kind of long-term vision because society teaches us that we're supposed to have some really clear goal of where we're trying to aim for in 20 or 30 or 40 years' time. And then these are the decisions you need to make and you need to decide at 17 that's where you're going and do all the right steps. But there's lots and lots of people, you're one, I'm one, where you follow your nose, you do the stuff that you love and opportunities arise because people can see your passion and your interest for what you're doing. You didn't set out at 17 to become a motorsport presenter. You set out at 17 to do something you love and go to Butlins. And then you found a love for interviewing people. You know, I find competitors so interesting. And I particularly find competitors of more niche sports really interesting. You know, my, my background is in professional ballroom dancing. And I, I've talked a few times on this podcast about the fact that even if you're the world champion professional ballroom dancer, you earn very, very little money. And therefore, you meet these people who are intense competitors because the only reason they want to win is just because of the winning. It's not for fame because there isn't much fame. It's not for money because there isn't much money. And therefore, you get this very pure competitor coming out. Whereas in a golf or tennis or football, there's lots of people who are pretty competitive and they're pretty good at what they do. They can earn an extraordinary sum of money being not an also ran, but kind of in the middle of the pack. But I find these slightly more low-profile sports really interesting because of the kind of people you meet. They're not famous. They're often not wealthy from their sport, but they're great competitors. Are there people that you remember interviewing that you love to spend time with because of that sort of competitive spark? Well, it's funny that you that you brought up the lower league or the less famous side of things because something within motorsport, if you're going to be competitive in any in anything quite often it's a whole family affair, isn't it? The whole family are involved and the atmosphere is just a warm atmosphere of everybody wanting to help each other out. 
And as you get higher up the ranks, this kind of disperses and, and it becomes quite ego driven and you're singled out more. I mean, to think of somebody that I really love interviewing, and this is somebody who, who is actually quite high profile in the world of Formula One, because within Formula One, don't forget, they would have all come up through the ranks of these lower sports and these lower racing divisions and and their family would have given up so much to be able to fund it and to support them. And Esteban Ocon is, is a Formula One driver who I just, he is, he's maintained this pureness of what I saw in interviewing drivers who are in much lower leagues. He's still got that. It seems to still be within him. And it's one of the loveliest thing when suddenly you're around drivers in something like Formula One that is so glamorous and, and so the other end of the scale. And I always felt that he had this openness about him and, and managed to maintain that little thread of norma- normality or humbleness, should I say. And, and he's always been, I haven't seen him actually for, I mean, I hope he's not changed <laughs> now I'm saying this, <laughs> but it's nice to see, it's, it's lovely to see that personality not change and that humbleness not change and those values, those family values not change from lower league and, and smaller startups to right to the other end of the scale. That's really interesting. So today, if people see you on screen, they see a hugely skilled, experienced, confident person. So I saw on stage at, at Carfest. Who are you when the camera stopped rolling? I'm, uh, gosh, I'm a nightmare. <laughs> I mean, I, so, so first and foremost, I'm a mother of two boys and that has been the toughest, the toughest job I've ever done. And it is, the, it is rewarding and I put my heart and soul into that job. And it's really taken its toll on, on a career. And I think, it's really, I think it's very hard at the minute, especially with social media and you compare yourself all the time. And I do this, you know, when I'm at home and I've been up since 5 a.m. and, you know, the, the house is upside down, even though I've tidied it a thousand times. And I think, my God, look at what, what am I? What, are, what am I now? What's my life? You know, what am I doing here? And, and, and there's all of this kind of stuff with social media. You can have it all. You can have a career and you can be a mom and you can do. And actually, you can't. You can't. You have to have chapters and you have to prioritize what's important at that moment in your life. And the last few years, I've absolutely prioritized my boys a thousand percent. And that's not an easy thing to do when you love your career and, you, and, and your career feeds your self-worth. You know, and that kind of goes back to that original moment of saying, I, I need this to prove that I am somebody and I, I've got a bit of self-worth. And when that's taken away, and I think I said to you, my, my unlocked moment, I feel has locked me in a little bit. When that's taken away from you and suddenly you're doing something different, I struggle, you know, I do struggle with that. And I do struggle with, gosh, what, you know, it's it's a, it's a very strange one, but I think any any parent who takes time out of a career that they love to, to raise children definitely must go through these 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 phases of 
wondering what on earth is, you know, it, it's, it's a very strange, um, it's a very strange feelings to battle with because I would never change it. I will never look back on my life and go, gosh, I wish I spent less time with my children. <laughs> I will never do that. But there are certain moments and I will be very honest that I have felt very low because it's such a difference in lifestyle. You know, it's such a difference in, and, and yeah, when you, when your self-worth is fed from, from your job, it's very difficult to then feel up about yourself when you're doing something very mundane, like cleaning a toilet with, you know, <laughs> having a wee with a two-year-old sat on your lap and another one doing something, you know, and you're thinking, wow, what has happened? What has happened? Um, I'm not putting this on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So that is me. That's me behind the scenes, really. You know, I, I, I do. I think like everybody, we, we struggle. And when you do choose a path less ordinary, there are moments where you feel very lost and you suddenly think, I don't know what's coming next. And I can't write a plan because I have had no plan ever since things have just happened. And so there are definite moments where I, I do panic and I think, gosh, what am I going to do? <laughs> but anybody in, the in this industry, I think, definitely must feel that. You're the first person I've spoken to who has thrown up this idea of my unlock moment might have locked me in. I think that's such an interesting thing to say. And there's something about self-worth and where it is fed from. You said when self-worth comes from the industry and the people around you, where really do you think your self-worth comes from? Uh, well, I don't. This is something, you know, you know, when we opened the conversation, we talked about doing all of the stuff at Sparfest and and doing all of this research. Um, and I said it was quite therapeutic and it was almost slightly life changing for me. I honestly think I have always pulled my self-worth from outside success, from what I look like from the outside. So if I look like I'm doing well to other people and that goes back to that moment in that car park where I thought in my head I'm going to show you I'm going to show you and even if I was unhappy at points if it looked like I was doing well that fed my I thought okay everyone thinks I'm doing well here so I must be doing well and I think I've I've I think it's only been these last few months that I'm really trying to change the narrative on that and um and, and try and tap into actually, you know, maybe you need to align yourself with, in fact, I think it was Dr. Rangan Chatterjee in his book says, maybe if you align your self-worth and your values with the way that you live, you know, live in honesty, live with kindness and, and do these, these things and gain your self-worth from that. And so I've got to tell you, you know, I'm really trying to, to to see value in those things and and find it from within rather than you know desperately wanting to look okay from the outside but it's a journey and it's tough yeah i 
I really appreciate that. I work with quite a lot of people in the entertainment industry and you know, we all know and we all see how destructive the industry can be, how destructive social media can be. There's been some very high profile cases in recent years about about that. And it's hard, I think, when you're in it. Um, I've known quite a few people actually in the dance world who've gone from complete anonymity in the competitive dance world onto TV with things like Strictly. And it's really common that you can see it change people, not because they wanted to change, but just it changes people when you can't walk into a shop without people coming up to you and saying hello and how much they appreciate you and how they think you're amazing and all those kinds of things. It's, it's a very weird, it's a very weird kind of environment and it's not real. And it's hard for people to stay connected to who they really are and where it really comes from. And I find this idea of the unlock moment really interesting for that, because at the end of the day, the thing that you're talking about that you have this vivid recollection of is you in a car park, thinking about your future, with the boy in the rain and the rest of it. When you think back to that moment and you apply it to who you are now, what is it in that moment that is powering you today? Well, I honestly do think that it's, it, it, it is, I still crave, crave um, acceptance from, the out, from other people. And, and that drives me. And, and, it's, and it's very hard when you put everything in, to being accepted from uh, by other people and and being liked by other people into a career that is very volatile and actually to a certain extent you have no power over you're you're putting that in the hands of somebody else and to, to hand over that is you know it's it's a uh, it's a, it's it's a thing that I battle with on a daily basis. And I still carry that from that moment. I had a guest on the podcast quite recently called Dr. David Burkus, who is a leadership speaker and academic in, in the US. And he said something really profound that I know has moved a lot of people who've listened to that conversation. And he said, we feel like we're doing everything we do for everybody, but in reality, we're not. And he said, one of the most powerful questions you can ask yourself is who is served by the work that I do? Who are you really doing what you do for? And it's not everybody, it's, it's some people. When you think about that question, you think about the work that you do and the life that you live, who are the people that you are serving or trying to serve? Who really matters for you in who you serve? Well, I guess, you know, I've spoken about being a mother and, and it's definitely my two boys. And, and that brings me, you know, to saying, to, to try aligning your self-worth with doing thing, just living your life authentically. I have a, with my eldest is nine and um, I found a note in his school bag the other day and I, it was the best report card I've ever seen in my life because it was just written on a scrap bit of paper and it said, you are so kind. And it was, it was one of the helper teachers. And I said, Frank, honestly, kindness, that is so, if you can live your life big with kindness, 
you are winning. Like, and if I can teach them anything, it's to get, it's to feel good self-worth and, and, and feel good by doing, by living in, in alignment with, with things like that, you know, rather than trying to gain acceptance from people that you don't know on social media, for example, you know, that will never lead to, it, it's, it's led a, a life of quite destruction on my mental health. So I need to instill in them to find, to find joy and pleasure in things that are around us every day and that you can always carry with you such as, you know, um, yeah, being honest, being kind, being respectful, things like that. So it, it's a big word in our house, you know, and it's a big, and that's what I hope to teach, to teach my boys. And I guess that's what I'm, that is, that is who I'm wanting to impress and <laughs> wanting to serve. That is who I want to lead a good example to. Um, and, and talking of serving, you know, that's another thing I've done a lot of in this last year. I've worked very closely with a few mental health charities and particularly men's, a men's mental health charity, anti-suicide charity. And it's something that I'm really passionate about. And it's a charity. I, you know, I do it for the love of it. And doing something that feels like you're actually helping and you're serving and you're doing good is a very different sense of fulfillment than seeing yourself on TV and getting X amount of likes on social media. And it's only been recently that I've started to really tap into that and, and really enjoy that side of things. That's really interesting. I really appreciate how you've been so open with what it feels like to be you and in the world that you're in. When you're about to walk out on stage, maybe at car fest and there's a sea of people in front of you and you're holding a microphone and you're wanting to have the confidence to be able to do that and present the way people want to see you what do you do just before you go on stage to get yourself into the headspace to be able to perform at your best this is such a funny question because i've asked this to sports people before and i've never thought about it myself i think quite often i think quite often you know I really, well, I do two things, actually. One thing I, I, I really focus on whoever I am interviewing. You know, if I can really focus on them and make sure that they're feeling okay, it takes the onus off me. So I think, okay, you know, there's always that it's okay. It's going to be okay. I always feel like I'm the karma, the one that has to say, everything's going to be okay. Just relax. We're going to have fun with this. Let's go, you know, and suddenly I feel like that's my job role to look after them on stage. And that takes it off me, the pressure off me. But another thing that I do do when I'm really feeling nervous is I look up and I speak to my grandparents <laughs> and, um, you know, and say, just come on, we can do this. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you had the opportunity to go back in time and talk to the shy teenager, who was 13-year-old leading a rock band in pubs and clubs and thinking about this future ahead and going, I don't know whether I can do all those things because I feel I don't know whether I can achieve it. What, what would you say to that girl? Well, 
I think um, the funny thing is I don't think anything would would change. I'd still say go for it. And there's obviously something that's always been in me that pipes up every so often that does that. Just go for it. Yeah, and I I don't think that has ever changed. You know, I look back and I think, would I change the course of things? And I don't think I would, even though there's been some very difficult low moments I think I will someone always said someone said to me once you know if if you can look back and think oh I've got some stories to tell you know when you when you're sat in that sort of retirement home <laughs> and you think yes yeah you've got if you've got, if you've got a twinkle in your eye and think yeah I, I've I've lived you know I've had some interesting times then I think you're doing well in life you know if you can look back fondly and smile through the, the, the tougher, quiet moments and really, you know, um, yeah, I just think sometimes you've just got to make the most of it. I love that. How can people connect with you? Where are people going to see you coming up? What, what, what's coming up for you? So I, I am on uh, Instagram and yeah, it's um social media is a funny one isn't it it's it's a strange one I am quite present on there I quite enjoy the creativity of it but um I I do struggle with social media with the barriers but but I am on there and um, I'm doing a lot of writing at the minute actually and um so a few little projects are bubbling away under the surface that are a little bit a step away from from the, the motorsport side of things. So I'm excited. I'm excited about that. That sounds very interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what comes out of that. Tori, it's been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for being a part of it. The Unlock Moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. For TV presenter and sports reporter Tori Campbell, it was overcoming her shyness, choosing to expand her horizons and proving to herself that she could achieve bigger goals, which helped her to find her self-worth and set her on a path to the life she lives today. Tori, I know so many people will resonate with your story. Thank you so much for sharing it with such openness and for joining me today on The Unlock Moment. Thank you so much. This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotez. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset. Find me on Instagram at Dr. Gary Crotez and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Most listeners to this podcast on Apple and Spotify haven't yet hit the follow button. If there's one thing you can do right now to help me out, then please click the follow button. The more followers I have, the better guests I can attract for you to learn from. Thanks again for listening, and join me again soon here on The Unlock Moment.